Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Make every great path straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we began looking at some fundamentals that address what happens to a person at salvation and um, uh, after the person has heard about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and has repented of his sins and sinfulness and has accepted God as his um, savior through the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at what it means at that time to be born again, a very common terminology, but with far reaching implications. We noted that when a person is born again, he is birthed by God through the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual occurrence, a spiritual event. It is not a natural or physical event. So though the individual does not physically um, change, yet in the spirit, he is a new person. His he, spirit man, which is the real individual, the real person who possesses a soul and dwells or resides in a body, has been touched by the spirit of God and has been awakened as it were. So we said that to be born again also could mean a reawakening because the spirit has been awakened by the spirit of God. His spirit which was dormant is now quickened, is now made alive and is now alive to righteousness but dead to sin. So that spirit that has now woken up through the Holy Spirit can no longer live a life of sin but now lives a life of of righteousness so that when a person is born again he takes on the nature of his new parent that is God Almighty and therefore cannot sin because God cannot sin because God is holy so he takes on the nature of holiness he begins to change from within and eventually we that change becomes obvious on the outside as people see that change taking place Hence, when a person is born again, he is a changed man. The Bible says all things have passed away. All things have become new. He no longer has an ambition. He only has God's mission. He no longer has selfish plans. He no, now has the plans and purpose of God that he makes a pursuit. He, he no longer lives a life of sin, but a life of righteousness and freedom from the bondage of sin. Finally, we spoke of a major benefit of being born again. The, the, and that benefit is the discipline of God. All those whom God will call to himself as his child, he disciplines. And if a person refuses the discipline of God or does not accept the discipline of God, the Bible said it means that he's a bastard. He's not really born of God. He's just masquerading as though he were born of God. Now, as a newborn child of God, therefore, you must relate to God as your father henceforth. You can no longer see yourself as someone that is not, uh, that has no relationship with God. You must see yourself as someone that has a relationship with God. Now, this leads us to another fundamental that we want to discuss under the global heading, the truth about the gospel um, in this broadcast. And that is the issue of adoption and sonship. Adoption and sonship. Now, in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through to verse 17. Romans chapter 8 from verse 14 through to verse 17. <clears throat> the Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Now, these verses of scripture, the verses of scripture in this portion of scripture that we just read, speaks of adoption. And we are going to look at, we are going to do uh, an extensive look at it. So please, we'll be coming back to this later uh, as, as we look at it in some detail. But I just want to read Galatians also, Galatians chapter 4, and I'll be reading from verse 5 through to verse 7. Galatians 4, from verse 5 through to verse 7. It says, to redeem, well, let's take it from 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent, his, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We say that word again. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, there are some very critical things, very critical statements that have been made in these two verses of scripture. And um, it is important that we understand what is being said here. Now, biblical ad adoption is quite different from our own modern adoption. And so our modern adoption does not help us to appreciate what is being said here. In our own uh, way of adopting children today, usually the, the, the adopted person is a child whose parents either gave up for adoption voluntarily or for a payment, or it could be a child who has no parents at all. And so we have the adoptive parents, either who have no children or who have grown up children, but and those grown up children have left home and now they need the companionship of other children around. And so they go ahead and adopt these uh, younger children. Now, this uh, way by which we adopt children in, in, in some parts of, 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 of the world, in fact, in virtually every part of the world, creates a bit of a problem. And one of the major problems that it creates is the problem of integration. Now, the adoptive child may not be able to fit into the family that he has come into, especially if he was adopted at, at, at a slightly older age, say age four, five, six, seven. He is beginning to know so many things, and so he may not be able to fit into that home. Uh, another another problem with uh, integration is that the adoptive the adopted uh, child, if having been adopted and knowing that he was an adopted child, makes it a life mission to find out his biological uh, parents. So he, even though he's in a home where he's been taken care of, he still has a desire to know his biological parents, and he makes it a mission. So he rarely integrates into the family. Then. Again, in the case where there were children in the home and then these uh, other children were adopted, uh, the, the, the children in the home, the biological children, usually see themselves as um, having more rights than the adopted children. And sometimes they even see the adopted children as strangers and they believe that they are not even entitled to share any inheritance 
with them. This is markedly different from what the Bible is saying. The Bible is telling us that as adopted children of God, we have every right to inheritance in the things of God. Then, of course, we, another problem with modern adoption is that the extended family, especially in, uh, in cultures where you have that, extended family members may never accept the adopted children as one of their own. They still will see them as strangers, as outsiders. And uh, finally, we, we, we're talking of problem with, of integration now. Finally, we discover that if there's any fault or any failing of the adoptive child, it, the, the people begin to read meanings, oh, well, you know, it's not, it's not their child. That's why he's behaving that way. We don't know who his biological parents were. We don't know whether they were, whether they were junkies or whether they were, we don't know what they were. You know, so maybe that is why he's behaving the way he's behaving. But when a biological child behaves that same way, we discipline that child. We say, you are not, you are not, you are not supposed to do that. So we have the problem of integration. Now, because of this, it does not really enable us to appreciate what the Bible is saying about adoption. Adoption is a matter of being an integral part of the family of God. I'm talking about biblical adoption. It's being an integral part of the family of God. That's why we, we said adoption and sonship. You are adopted and you become a son in every, in every sense particular. The closest thing to biblical adoption is, the, is adoption under Roman law. And that is why Paul used the, the term adoption as a plank to explain to the church in Rome and even to the Galatians what this matter of adoption really means and how uh, we, 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 we can marry the, the adoption under Roman law and what God has done for us. He's using it to explain what God has done for us. It's not as if God adopted us like the Romans would adopt. But let's have a better understanding as we look at what adoption is under Roman law. Now, under Roman law, the adopted person was not a child. He had to be an independent adult and must be able to consent to the adoption. You see, under Roman law, the adopted person must be involved in the adoption process himself. He must, he must agree to being adopted. And then the adoptive parent usually had no child of his own. So because he had no child of his own and no one to pass on an inheritance, he would adopt someone that he can now pass on the inheritance. So Roman law allowed that. In fact, these are things that came up from even uh, biblical times. You recall, if, if, if you were to read uh, Genesis, I think it's Genesis chapter 15, when, when, when uh, God came and told Abraham that I'm your shield and your, and your support, I'm your rear guard and, and so on and so forth, your protection, Abraham said, I know that. But look, I don't have any child of my own. And this Eliezer, born, born as a servant in my home, is going to become my son. That is, he would inherit my portion because that was the, that was the tradition. Once you, once you, were, you, you, you had property, you, you needed somebody to inherit it. And if you didn't have a child, then you would adopt someone as your child so that that person through adoption can inherit what you have. So the adoptive parent usually had no child of his own. So he needed to adopt somebody so that that person can be one of his own. Now, so the adopted person was therefore regarded as a new creature. Indeed, I'm told that Roman law, it, it was, it, it, they used the coinage, he was born again or born anew. What that meant was that 
his past pedigree ceased to exist. Indeed, in, under Roman law, in legal terms, that individual who was adopted ceased to exist as far as adoption was concerned. So from the time he was adopted, that is when he began to exist. Everything he was before the adoption was no longer counted. Nobody wanted to know where he came from. Nobody was interested with, about who his parents were. Whether he was a slave or not, it was irrelevant. What mattered now was he is a son of such and such person. He is a member of the family of such and such person. His past was never referred to at all. Indeed, he never existed before that date of adoption. That is, that is under Roman law. So he was basically a new creature. He was a new being. And he had entered into this family and he was a, a, a bona fide member of that family. The adopted person had all the entitlement of a legal son and had the right of inheritance under Roman law. Nobody could challenge him. He had every right to an inheritance. That is why Augustus Caesar, who was actually Julius Caesar's adopted child, adopted son, claimed legitimacy to the to the, to the estate of his late father, Julius Caesar. And that included his right to assuming the emperorship of Rome, which not only he claimed as a right, but he also earned in war and became an emperor, became the emperor of Rome. So these were the things that happened under Roman law. So what Paul is explaining to us is that like the adopted person under Roman law, who was a legal son, and entitled to all that a son gets. So the born-again child of God has all the entitlements of a legal son. So that's what he was saying in, 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 in the scriptures. Now, let's, let's go back to Romans chapter 8 now, and then look at it in the light of what we have said hitherto. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So he's talking about people who are sons of God. And he says one of the crucial things about sons of God is that they are led by the Spirit of God. They are not led by any other spirit, but by the Spirit of God. They, they take their leading, their direction from the Spirit of God. He's the one that leads them and he, he, he leads them in the direction of the plan, purpose, and design of God. In verse 15 of Romans chapter, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, it's important to note that, like I said earlier, when this uh, uh, man with an inheritance, not wanting to die without a son, sought to adopt someone, he could actually adopt one of his slaves who had been, you know, who, who had served him diligently, wholeheartedly. He could adopt such a slave and make him his son so that that slave ceased to be a slave Afraid, frightened of a master, we have lost the sense of master and slave, uh, slavery and, and masterhood in, in our own generation. But in those days, a slave was a property of the, of the slave owner. He could actually be killed justifiably by the owner. It's like disposing of your property. That was how it was. And that, was how, that is why slavery was considered a very horrible thing. Because the slave was no different from any, any, any furniture that somebody had. Slave masters raped their, their slaves. In fact, they didn't consider it rape. They were just using their property. That's how, that's how they saw it. So for somebody to be upgraded from slavery to sonship 
was a big deal. It was a major, major, major thing. So that is what he's saying here in, 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 in Romans chapter 8. He says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again. You are, not, you are no longer a slave to, 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 to be afraid, to be frightened of your, of your erstwhile master. He says, but instead you received the spirit of adoption, one that made you a son. And because that spirit is in you, he, he cries through you to God as a father. He says, Abba, my father, my father, you, you have every right of a son. In verse 16, it says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are not slaves. We are children of God. That's what it's saying. You cannot therefore be born again and be looking at yourself with the eye of inferiority. And nobody's asking you to, to think that you are bigger than you are. But you must understand that you are a son of God, a child of God. There are implications for that. So the Bible is saying that once you are born again, you are no longer a slave to sin, to be frightened and, and to, be, to be held captive. I see many people who say they are born again going for deliverance. And I'm wondering, is it that you don't understand? And so God wants you to understand that today. Once you were brought in by God, except you were not born again. But once you were brought in by God, you became a son, free from sin, free from the stranglehold of sin, free to have a special relationship with God, which is why you cry, Abba, Father. You have him as a father. He is not a master. He is now a father. And you have a vital relationship with him. In verse 17, he goes on to say, he says, and if we are children, then we are heirs. So we have inheritance, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ becomes our first, our senior brother, our eldest brother. We are his brothers. We are now members of the family of God. And we have every right to all that God has as the Lord Jesus Christ has. But of course, we're going to see that later. There is a difference between the rights of a firstborn and the rights of other children. So we are all other children. Whether you are a Jew or you are a Gentile, as long as you are born again. Even the Jews who still practice Judaism, sadly, are not part of this. That's why in Galatians chapter 4, the Bible emphasizes that. It says, when Christ came and delivered us from uh, the, the bondage that were under the law. In verse, let me read Galatians 4 verse 5. It says, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of those who were under the law. Those are the Jews under Judaism. They, they were adopted. They were freed from the law and brought in as children of God through Christ unto salvation. And it says, and because, in Galatians 4, it says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, the same thing. So one of the crucial things of adoption is that there is a there is a cry within for God, a cry that 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 wants to build a relationship between that person, that individual, and God, his Father. So in verse seven it says, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So the right of inheritance is what you are entitled to it. So what Paul is emphasizing, which the Bible wants us to understand today, is the benefits of being children of God. 
and he, he, he uses that adoption under Roman law, which his, his uh, listeners or his readers at the time understood to let them know that they were not strangers to God anymore. They were now in a vital relationship with God. Now, the Bible, therefore, emphasizes as a vital benefit of sonship the rights of a son, the rights of a son, the, the right of a son to inheritance. In, in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, this, this verse of scripture be, will, will become, will, will begin to make more sense to us as we understand this concept that the Bible is saying. In John chapter 1 verse 11, the Bible says, He, that is the Lord Jesus, came to his own, the Jews, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, as many as welcomed him, as many as accepted him into their heart as their savior, to them he gave the right or the privilege or the power or authority to become children of God. They were not children of God. Now they have become children of God. I, I, I think uh, Peter also mentions this in 1 Peter. The, the, the early apostles had a vivid understanding of, of these things in the light of the scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me. In um, in First Peter chapter two, uh, I'm going to read from verse nine. It, it says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own, that is God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Who once were not a people." but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but have now, but now have obtained mercy. So the, the, the Bible explains this critically, that you are a son and you have the rights of a son. Indeed, the Lord Jesus makes allusion to this. In John chapter 8, we find him making a statement. John chapter 8. Some, some, when when uh, some of the Jews had believed him, he, he had made a statement. Let me read it from verse um, 30. Let me read from verse 30. He says, as he, spake, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, in verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? These were people who incidentally were under Roman domination, but they were so arrogant about it and said, we, are, we belong to Abraham. We are not under bondage to anyone. But he, they didn't even understand what the Lord was talking about, the freedom that the Lord was talking about. In verse 34, Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So they were talking of being Abraham's descendant. He was talking about them being in bondage to sin. So he's saying here that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So before we became born again, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to addictions. We were slaves to so many things. We did these things sometimes involuntarily. We, we, even when we said we would not do it, that's why even when we make New Year's resolutions, within the twinkling of an eye, we have broken those resolutions because we were slaves to these things. These things had control over our lives. Sin had control over our lives. It led us as 
it pleased. But when we become born again, we are now led by the Holy Spirit. That's why it says, as many as are the sons of God, they are led by the Spirit of God. We are no longer led by sin and its, uh, its, its appendages. In verse 35, he says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. In verse 36, it now makes that vital statement I told you earlier, that a slave could become a son. And once he became a son, he had all the power, all the authority of a son. And so in verse 36, the Lord Jesus says, Therefore, if the son, that is him, the son, makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Again, I refer to those people who say they are born again, who keep going for deliverance from one thing or the other. Let me make it clear, absolutely clear today, that there is only one deliverance that you need, and that deliverance is knowledge. You just need to have the knowledge of God. You need to have the knowledge of the Word of God. That knowledge is what the Lord Jesus says will make you free. That knowledge will free you from the trappings of sin and the things that sin is trying to lure you to become, to, 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 be, to be in bondage to. He says he will set you free. He will make you free. So the right of a son you have. Everything that the Lord Jesus is entitled to as a son of God, you are also entitled to that. That is one thing that the Bible is letting us understand here. That you are not somebody that is just there, happenstance. You are born again and so, well, maybe God just wants to show you one little mercy. Say, no, 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 no. Peter would say, you have obtained mercy. You had no mercy before. You were without mercy. Now you have obtained mercy. He says, you, before you were not a people of God, nobody took cognizance of you, but now you are a people of God. The second thing that the Bible emphasizes of the benefits of adoption is that we are members of the family of God with inheritance rights. Members with inheritance rights. Thirdly, we are not to act like fearful slaves, but sons who have a vital relationship with their father. In 2 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy was trying to get him to get out of his timid uh, way, uh, lifestyle or his, his, his timid attitude or behavior. And in verse 7 he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. No, we didn't have that spirit. He says, But of power and of love, and of a sound mind. Fear is torment. Fear makes a man to go mental. A man does not act the way he should act out of fear. So the, 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 one of the things the Bible is saying is that as children, as sons of God, as children of God, you are not slaves. Stop acting fearful. Stop being frightened of God. You, He is your father. You have relationship with him. So have that fellowship with him. Now, so what are we saying here? God wants us to know with every certainty that we are now his very own with all the entitlement as the Lord Jesus had. In, in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as an inheritance, sorry, to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You have an inheritance in heaven, not here on the earth. I'm talking of these buildings. We're talking of things of vital importance, of vital spiritual importance. In verse 5 it says, who are kept by the power of God. You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So you have an inheritance. You were born again and you were brought into an inheritance. The Bible wants us to understand that. But 
even though we have all the we 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 have all the benefits that the Lord Jesus Christ has, there is a place where the Lord Jesus Christ has more than we have, and I'm going to show you that in First Chronicles chapter five, verse one and two. First Chronicles chapter five, verse one and two. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. He was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the sons of Israel, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright was Joseph's. What is he saying here? He's saying that Reuben was the firstborn son and was entitled to the birthright. But because Reuben defiled his father's bed, because Reuben went and slept with uh, his father's wife, his, his stepmother, his stepmother, one of his stepmothers, he was this, he, he, he was he was cut off from that birthright. And the birthright was given to child number 11, that is Joseph. So Joseph had the birthright. Now, what does, what does this birthright really mean? We will also recall that Jacob took the birthright from his elder brother Esau. Now, in Jewish tradition, where if a man had three sons, he would divide his property into four. The firstborn got two portions and the others took one. So the firstborn always had a double portion of the inheritance of the father. If he had two sons, then he would share out his property into three parts. The firstborn will get a double portion and the second one will have one portion. So it was in the case of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son said, share my property, share, share, uh, give me my inheritance, the father would have shared his property into three parts. The, the son who remained at home would have two parts and the son who, who went off would have taken his one part and gone. So that by the time the prodigal son was returning, he had wasted everything that he had. So that when this firstborn was angry that the father was feasting his, his younger brother, the father said, but all that I have is yours. Everything that is now here is the double portion is yours. He has taken his own part, he's wasted it already. Fine. But that doesn't mean that we should throw him away. Let's welcome him. Let's treat him fine as long as every other thing is yours. So the Lord Jesus Christ has a double portion, whilst every other person has one each. Now, this is very crucial. So you have to understand that you have a special relationship with God. There is no pastor that has a more special relationship than the congregant. Understand that. The pastor can have knowledge because God wants him to pass that knowledge to the congregants through teachings and other things. But that's that. But when it comes to relationship, you have, you have the same footing in relationship you as the pastor has with God. It is a fallacy from men to say that the pastor has a stronger relationship with God than the congregant. No. If you build your personal relationship with God, you can have so much with God. God can tell you things that he will not even tell some people who say they are pastors who don't even have that kind of relationship with him. So what God is saying here for us to understand in this concept of adoption and sonship is that you're a son. Can you imagine, Emma, can you imagine you being a father and you have children and there is one child whom all the other children tell their problems to and that one child comes to tell you. Would you not one day ask that child, don't these ones know that they have rights to me as well, that they have access to me as well? So it is wrong for you to think that the pastor is, your, is, is, your, is, is, is the middleman between you and God. No, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man, not a pastor. 
the pastor has rights to God as much as you have rights to God. The Bible talks about that access. It says we all have access to the throne room of grace. So let's go there and obtain help in time of need. I think that's Hebrews chapter 4. So what, Bible, what the Bible is saying, stop acting like a cringing slave. Stop acting like somebody who is alien to God. You are a child of God. You are born again. You have every right with God as any other child of God, including the Lord Jesus Christ. Only that the Lord Jesus Christ has a double portion of the inheritance over you. So as a child of God, certain things are expected of you because you are a child of God. There are certain things that are expected of you. You are expected to live a holy life. You, you know, it's a misnomer to have royalty living like commoners. Even when royalty get married to commoners, the commoners are now retrained to act like royals. It's the same thing. You were a commoner. Now you have been brought into a royal priesthood. You must live a holy life. You must be humble. Humility must be a part of your life. You must show love, charity. These are, the, these are the major attributes of God that you must have because God is your father. And you must be a person of integrity, wholesome, one who does not tell lies, one who is truthful in his dealings with God and with men. I'm going to close by telling the story which I heard from uh, someone. There was this king who needed to uh, go on a, on a journey uh, with his prime minister, but the prime minister was uh, busy at the time and away from, from, from the kingdom, attending to other matters. But since he had to go with his prime minister, he said to his chief uh, servant, said, look, you know what? You will come with me and you will act like the prime minister. So they clothed him and everything. And he went with the king. Now, problems began to happen when they sat at dinner. This servant had never known what it meant to sit at dinner. He'd always been standing to attend to the people who have come to dinner to eat. So it took a lot for the king to press him down and make him sit down at that dinner table, sitting next to the king. Because, I mean, he, he wasn't used to it. He was always used to serving and other things. And when it came time to eat, it was a problem also because he wanted to be serving the king. <laughs> the king was being served by somebody. He would want to take it from there. So a lot went into forcing him to act like a prime minister. Eventually, when, when dinner was over, a, another, another problem occurred. It took time. It took a lot to force him to sit down because he was used to packing up and, and, and taking the plates into the kitchen. He wanted to do that. He said, no, sit down. Eventually, Dinner was over, the king was relieved, thank God, the embarrassment has been averted, and then the king went to sleep. At about 3 a.m., the king woke up and just wanted to walk around, and as he was walking past um, the, the, a particular place, he noticed that uh, somebody was washing in the kitchen. So uh, he, he just peered around the kitchen, and whom did he see? His servant, washing the plates. He never could get out of being a slave, even though he was told to come and act like a prime minister. And God is saying to you, you are my child. Stop acting cringly. Stop, stop acting like a, like, like a fearful, cringy slave. You are a son. You have, you have inheritance rights. I have an inheritance for you in heaven. Stop acting like a commoner who is pursuing things here on the earth when there's so much waiting for you in heaven. This is the message that God has for us. When we talk of adoption, we are talking of the inheritance rights. The Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You have every right to God. Don't, be, don't believe those men who try to say to you that you must get to God through them. There's nothing like that. You have direct access to God. The Bible makes it clear. Let me look for that scripture in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter, 
I believe it's Hebrews chapter 4. Um, yes, Hebrews chapter Let me read from verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16 is the crucial thing. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have every right to God. Stop thinking that you until pastor prays for you, nothing will happen. Stop that. Go to God yourself. God has been wondering, who are these children of mine who will not come to talk to me? Who think that the only way they can talk to me is to talk to a pastor? And that, make no mistakes, I'm not saying that the pastor is not vital. The pastor is crucial because he's the teacher of the word of God. But he, he must not take the place of God or the place of the mediator. Jesus Christ is the mediator. And we find today many, many, many people are praying through, they're praying in the name of the God of their pastor. And I wonder what kind of thing is that? We're told to pray in the name of Jesus. As a son, you have every right to God. Go to God. The spirit of God in you is been crying and yearning for God. But men have been fomenting all kinds of falsehood and asking people to come to them, to come to God through them. No! you born again. You have direct access to God. As I leave you now, I want you to understand that beginning from now, start having that personal relationship with God. As you get into that relationship with God, you will be amazed at the things that God will say to you. You also will be able to say to people when you see them, the Lord told me such and such, such and such. You can now encourage others also. And that is what God wants. Children that he, that he, he meets with one-on-one. -on -one. You are not just going to be praying whenever you are in church or whenever you have a problem, you run to the pastor. Or when there's a, a noise under your bed, you wake up at 2 a.m. and call your pastor on the phone. No! Now you have relationship with God. Now you, have been, you know you are delivered. You don't need to go from one place to the other for deliverance. I rejoice with you because deliverance comes through knowledge. And once you have that knowledge, that's all that is needed. Remember what the Lord said in, in Hosea. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Today, God has brought that knowledge to you. And I thank God that you have been totally set free now. Now is the time for you to step forward with boldness, with courage, knowing that you are a child of the living God. And go forth and serve. Have a blessed day.